0: Welcome to this week's episode of the 13th floor. I am Cece.
1: I'm Alex. I'm James.
0: And today we're, we're talking about aliens.
1: Again, <laughs> again, again.
0: Wow. It's been a while since we've talked about aliens, I feel.
1: Yeah. I was James- talking about the Domsted blobs.
0: Yeah, Alex, <laughs> always every time we pull an alien episode out of the vase... His first thing that he says is, remember when I talked about the Dobs to That's
1: not true. That is a complete <laughs> fabrication. <laughs> uh-uh. James. Fascinating.
0: How you been?
2: I've been doing good. Um, got uh, got big news on the spider front. As you two already know. Yeah. spice molted and is a mature male. The uh, bad news to that is that means he's got a year to live. So I actually reached out to Mostly Reptiles, which is where I bought him when he was just a little bitty baby. And uh, they said that they were going to keep their eyes peeled for a female, so going to breed him or try to.
0: James, are you going to try yeah. to
1: scoop him out before he gets eaten?
2: Uh, the whoever owns the female hopefully will, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll see, James. Yeah. Wow. My 30. goodness!
2: Yeah.
0: Look at James matchmaking over there. Feeding
1: them to the wolves.
2: <laughs> there, unironically, there's a Facebook uh, place for for that call. Like, I kid you not, spender. It's like, it's like, it's like tender (laughs) for your spiders. I'm not joking. It's amazing. You know, do you let them swipe? I I wish, but no.
0: Oh man. Well, I appreciate that. But also it's kind of horrifies me, James. The thought of (laughs) mating tarantulas, and breeding them. So like, would you get the babies? Like, would you guys split the babies? How many babies does a spider have?
2: Um, several dozen, if not several hundred, and yes, usually you split them 50. What 50. if it's an odd number? Do you just cut one in half? Uh, a lot of times somebody will get, it's kind of like with dogs, you get like pick of the litter or some, You know, usually somebody will want one or two of the babies for the, their own keeping. Oh, okay.
0: How, so you would breed these and then sell them? Like, what would, what's your end game? Like, what are you going to do with 50 tarantulas, James?
2: Uh, well, ho- what I would do is I would say, look, I just want like, 10 20 25 percent and they can sell them whoever owns the female because I mean they gotta they're gonna be the ones with the babies anyway because the female lays the eggs so that's what I'm hoping will turn about and then I'll just get like maybe two or three of spice's babies and raise them hmm.
0: that how humble of you James <laughs> you just want you just want to carry on the legacy of spice yeah so what would you name the children?
2: Uh well, you know, I'm thinking nutmeg, cinnamon and uh mace.
0: <laughs> I think cardamom is a wonderful name.
2: Ooh, that's my favorite spice by the way.
0: Wow, you yeah, learned to it's think my favorite about spice things. and aroma. Well, I'm I'm very happy <laughs> for you, James. I'll remember that next time I get you a Christmas present. Mm. Yeah. How are you guys? We're doing good. Gwen just moved Ooh. up to her big girl room, so that's been our mm-hmm. life for the past week and a half. It's getting her her loft bed made. And then we've had house renovations. We've got tile that was just put down today. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, you, you can no longer see the concrete
1: concrete concrete
0: the concrete slab of our house when you go yeah. to the bathroom. So you know, I can't complain.
1: Boo.
0: But Good yeah, other deal. than that, yeah, that's the most exciting thing to happen to us lately, which isn't all that exciting. I you think know, it is spice having babies is much more exciting so <laughs> i think that we can move on and we can say hearty hellos to all of our listeners around the globe
1: what's up listeners
0: yeah it not like you just said glisteners
1: well that's because they all sparkle in my eyes
0: Oh, so sweet. So, you guys, today we are going to give a big shout out to everybody listening in Japan.
1: Oh, hello, Japan.
0: (laughs) Yes, hello, Japan. We're also going to say hello to everybody located in Bulgaria. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yes, and then here in the States, Alex, pick a state because they're all listening.
1: They're all listening. They're
0: all listening.
1: Then we got a shout out to Alaska.
0: Mm Alaska. So... Everybody in Alaska, hello and thank you so much for tuning in no matter where you're listening. We appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. Yeah.
1: yeah. Hopefully so. there's sunshine there right
0: now. Yes. Don't sunshine. they go a
1: long time without sunshine over in Alaska they do. or not?
0: Yeah. Isn't is it all of Alaska or just certain parts of Alaska?
2: I think it's more parts than others. Like I think I think the further north you get, the the harder it is. Mm.
0: Well, I hope that there's sunshine for you, Alaska. Yeah. Mm. So those are our hearty hellos. Do we have an icebreaker, James?
2: We do. This is a really weird one, uh, but you know we're talking about alien encounters, and <laughs> I got to thinking about it. So let's say tomorrow, a- aliens reveal themselves. You know they want us to be part of like a galactic federation, mm-hmm. faster than light travels possible, etc. And you have the responsibility of going to like some metropolitan, multi-species city, you know, so there's lots of aliens and you're you're going to be one of the few humans going there. What job would you like to do that you think you would both enjoy and excel at just by virtue of being human? Like you think you'd be good at it and the aliens would be like, wow, look at that human doing that really cool job.
0: Ooh, Alex, I feel like you're gonna have a decent answer for this. Yeah, I'd
1: be like the i I'd be the I'd be like the, the monkey with the symbols, street performer. <laughs> <laughs> little <Fez> hat on. <laughs> oh man, you know, honestly they may not have music, so that might blow their minds. Oh <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'll do. I'll bring my Spotify playlist and plug it in and play promo <laughs> I'll, I'll, and-
0: I'll,
1: I'll do like the worst robot that Alex is gonna be a mime on another planet. That's yeah. A dream. But oh yeah, I'll just end up being a rock <laughs> I'll be I'll become a rock star essentially mm-hmm. over there. Except for no one will know that I'm just copying other people's music. Yeah. And By the time they find out, I'll probably be dead. So it will be all right.
0: <laughs> well, if they came wow. to Earth and got you, maybe they'd find out fairly soon. Oh but
1: please, they didn't download the whole catalog. You know. What I, mean?
0: I think like okay, that's a fitting job for you, Alex. So long as you don't have to the
1: scam artists, a fitting job. As <laughs> so long as you don't
0: have to speak alien, because I can just imagine gl- 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 since you gl- can't do accents that you would uh, really insult people.
2: Yeah, an ambassador, that would be a nightmare scenario with Alex. <laughs> he'd, he'd think he was saying something perfectly and end up insulting some other delegate's
1: mother and causing a war. Yeah, Or I would just do it on purpose. Uh, I, um, okay, alright.
0: <laughs> I, I feel like I'm not like that qualified for a lot of jobs. So, mm. I would probably want to do something that's just near and dear to my heart and be like a photographer.
1: And document
0: oh. all of the different.
1: It's an easy, easily sellable, and you don't want to communicate that that much. You mm. just like pose them.
0: Yeah. For some reason, in my brain, this little metropolitan area that I'm going to it has a lot of art, but it's not photography. Mm. So I, right, yeah, I know that that's probably not going to be the case. I, guess, yeah, I mean, happened. they might have
1: actually like holograms, but maybe they haven't conquered the use of filters.
0: Yeah, maybe not. You never know. You They've never probably know.
1: never seen sepia tone.
0: I can take pictures. That's that's about it. I can write, but I I, mm, yeah. I don't know if that would be unique enough, James. What what would you do?
2: Uh, you know, I, this is such a human supremacist thing to say, but Uh-oh. I just imagine a couple of things. Really, I think that we I, the humans are probably physically a lot stronger than most aliens. So could do like like be a professional wrestler or a bouncer, or something something intimidating, so that it would actually like they would see this a very rare sight would be a human in their town. And they're like, We better not piss off humans because holy crap. But then the just other so you
1: know, James, I said that I'd be a con artist and James just said that he would be Hulk Hogan. And that would be <laughs> yeah. his aspiration.
2: Yeah. It's yeah. Couple of six year olds here.
0: Well, this is the thing that gets <laughs> me is like I love you to pieces, but you've never intimidated me. It's probably because mm. I know you, but yeah. it's just like I picture you with spice on your shoulder walking <laughs> around.
2: Wow. Um, well, the other one, this is this is actually the other one I was thinking of is this is also a human supremacist view though, which is I just for whatever reason, I imagine the taxonomy that we've created for, for life on earth. He is brilliant, and they probably don't have anything as good as what we've come up with, and so that would be the other thing: would be cataloging alien wildlife, and then being like, "What? This is amazing!" Like, you know, he's he's cataloged them, he's named them. I would basically be like uh, the Adam of the 21st century, naming all the animals.
0: See, that's the answer I was expecting out of you—something yeah. scientific, since you are so mm. biologically minded and. Yeah. You love yeah, all that but
2: See, then somebody says, you know, somebody confuses genus and family, and then I flip out and give them a haymaker, just so they know don't mess with Earth.
1: Mm.
0: Oh, <laughs> okay, so you combine both of those jobs. Smart yeah. thinking, James. James' yeah.
1: idea was to teach people that have learned faster than light travel how to name their animals.
0: How to name their animals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just picture James giving them, like, James, that could also be as insulting as Alex being an ambassador, because you oh, give definitely. them a name and they're like, I've already got a name. Thank you very much. And they have John a whole James. other
1: tier, and you're like, "Oh my gosh!" They just blew my little infant mind. <laughs> hey, it's
2: possible. That's the fun thing about uh, this hypothetical is really whatever you imagine, you're neither correct or incorrect. It's you know, it's so outlandish
1: that you could you could just run with it. Yeah, I would throw water on all of them just to see if I could find the science alien.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, you guys. <laughs> That is our icebreaker today. James, you're right. That one was wacky and out there, but it was fun. I, Good. Yeah. I think it's time to move on to our episode. Are you guys ready yeah. to, to chat, Monkeys?
1: Let's rock and roll.
0: Okay. And since I am doing the topic that was specifically requested in the base, mm. I am going to be covering the Bascagoula abduction. Ooh. Vase. And James, I know you did not know where Pascagoula was when we drew this from the vase last week. I actually am proud of myself because I did correctly mention that it's in Mississippi. Mm. And then as I was thinking about it, I was like, I know where I know Pascagoula from. It's because my dear friend and our sweet patron, Caitlin, actually did volunteer work there after Hurricane Katrina. So, uh. yeah, that's that's how I kind of knew what it was. But... Anyways, the thing that put Pascagoula on the map in the first place, way before the hurricanes, because it's had a lot of hurricanes, per Mm. um, hurricanecity.com, it was an alien abduction. Also, a little fun fact about Pascagoula, that's where Channing Tatum's from. Mm. Biss. love Channing Tatum, and as much as I'd like to sit and talk about Channing Tatum, I guess I should talk about the the abduction, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. So the story takes place on October 11th, 1973 It involves two men, an older gentleman. I, I cannot, I do not remember his age. His name was Charles Hickson. And then Calvin Parker, who was 19 at the time. The reason I know his age is because he's shared his story out there. Like he's given a lot of interviews in recent years. So he was 19 years old when this happened and Hickson, he and Hickson had been working at this place called F.B. Walker and Sons Shipyard. And Hickson had actually helped Parker get a job there. This abduction allegedly happened the first day of Parker's job time on the job at F.B. Walker and Sons Shipyard. So they go to work, they do their work, and then it's time to leave at the end of the day. And Hickson was like, hey, my pal Cal, do you want to go fishing? And Calvin was like, sure, why not? What's the worst that could happen? You know, little did he know, you guys, little did he know. So they get their fishing gear and they head down to the river that's nearby their shipyard. And when they get there, oh no, there are too many bugs. There are too many bugs in the area. So they're like, let's go somewhere else. So they go find this other place to go fishing near this little dock. And it says, no fishing allowed. Some type of sign. They're supposed to not be fishing there. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, they throw all caution to the wind. They're like, you know what? It's fine. We're, we're going to be become
2: fine. ungovernable.
0: <laughs> yeah. They were like, flim flam. Let's just catch some marine life. We'll have a good time. It's going to be fine. And so they throw their lines in the water. It makes a little boop noise, you know, and they're sitting there and they're waiting for the fish to bite. And then, according to Parker, he's just sitting there. He was minding his own business, thinking about, and I kid you not, this is what he told uh one of the places who interviewed him, he was sitting and looking at a, a boat off in the distance that was made of steel, and he was just thinking, "How is it that steel can float? Like it's so heavy, how does it float?" And so he's thinking about that when all of a sudden he sees this blue light on the water, and he's just like, "Uh-oh, the cops are here because we're fishing somewhere where we shouldn't have been fishing." He's like, I knew this was—I knew this was going to happen, and so. They're like, all right, let's go. The cops are going to lead us away. And they turn around. But you guys, it's not cops. It's a spaceship. Whoa. Yeah, and they said it was long and oval-shaped. And it was floating really close to the ground. Apparently it was like two feet off the ground and really close to them. And there was this bright light. And all they could do was see this bright light. But they saw three aliens emerge from the ship. They said that they were, quote, bulky-looking creatures. So the sh- the the aliens they grabbed Parker and Hickson and they took them onto the ship cuz remember they got abducted. And do you all want to know what happened when they were on the spacecraft? Yeah, well, <laughs> i Yeah, I'll continue. Supposedly at the door they injected Parker at least and Hickson I'm imagining with some type of something Um, Some
1: type of something.
0: It was some type of alien drug, okay? Because they went from being terrified to feeling, okay, I'm at peace.
2: Awesome.
0: So it was some type of drug. It was Um, Joe Rogan. (laughs) Well, the aliens led Parker into what he called an examination room, and they put him on this glass table. And he said that there was this little piece of machinery that came down from the ceiling and it was like as big as a box of cards just a little rectangle and it started spinning around him his body and it was making these little click noises click, 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 and he was just like it's reading me somehow and so he sat there and then after it finished clicking it shot back up into the ceiling and then a pretty female alien came into the room and Parker, he was engaged to be married at the time. He's very faithful, though. But he said if he hadn't been engaged, he probably would have asked her on a date because she was really pretty. What? She looked human. But he said that the main difference that's like she's not a human. Well, there are a couple things I'll tell you in a second. But mm. she had really long middle fingers. <laughs> so, so, Interesting. He, so he noticed her hands. But then she took her hand and started to shove it down his throat, which kind of like killed the magic.
1: Um, and I'm. I, some people are into that
0: well, he was not he started gagging and he says that she pulled her hand out really quickly and he said it was almost like she didn't want to hurt him is what it felt like and so she didn't want to hurt him according to Parker and then she supposedly made this noise like a groaning noise that Parker described as sounding like a alligator mating call yeah. what's that sound like James I've never it's heard a, an alligator a, a, I at all. actually
2: have heard it I don't know if I can approximate it but it's kind of like this <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> as close as I can get
0: so so that's the noise that she made wow and then after that I'm not sure if maybe she was saying somebody come and take him or whatever because after that another alien possibly a robot took Parker and Hickson back down to the little fishing spot where they had been and just dropped him off. And they're like, peace. And then they left. Hmm. And I'm not 100% clear as to what happened to Hickson. Almost everything that you find online is like the story from Parker's perspective. Hickson has since, pa- since passed away. I think he passed away in 2011, but Parker's been the one to kind of share his story the most. I got a lot of my information, by the way, shout out to CountryRoadsMagazine.com. They had a really good thorough write up on this. But Hickson and Parker both understandably shaken after this happened. Like they were terrified. And at first they agreed, let's not tell anybody about this because people are going to think that we're crazy. And then Hickson was like, no, we can't keep it a secret. Like this is really big. So Hickson tried to call the people who were managing project blue book at the time, but they were told they had stopped doing the project. The project had ended and so they were told, just call your local police and file or something. <laughs> so
2: this so is like they, a scene in gremlins when they call the police and they're like, just ignoring them.
0: Yeah. I wow. just, they just said, just send, you know, so they call up the police in Pascagoula. Louise was just scratching yourself if you heard that. But yeah, yeah, they, they went down to the police station <clears throat> to give them their stories and they were kept in a room together. They were, interviewed separately. You know, they did all the stuff and the police were just like, these two guys are crazy. Like, this is absolutely absurd. Can't believe we have to waste our time on this, but they had put secret microphones in the interview rooms with Hickson and uh, Parker unbeknownst to them. And the thing that was really remarkable was that both of them kept a consistent story. So they both had the same story, even when they were separated and then when they were alone in the interview room without the uh, the cops there, they were both still terrified. And they were talking about, like, what had happened and how they just didn't understand it. Normally, you know, they might just get quiet and not talk about anything. Or they might just say, you know, oh, do you think they – you know, you don't know what they're what you're going to say if you're being secretly recorded. But they seemed to stay on brand with what they were saying. Ooh. So – yeah, and they had no idea that these their interviews were being recorded. I found the recording, which you can actually listen. I think that I think that you can listen to part of it on Clarionledger.com, which also had a good write-up of the story. By the way, you only have limited articles remaining on that website, so like view your stories wisely. Because <laughs> you only mm-hmm. get so many views. But anyways, I really freaked myself out by listening to part of this interview at three o'clock in the morning when I couldn't sleep. And I was like, I'm just going to do my research for the show. And so Mm. I'm like, Oh, let me listen to this. It scared me.
2: It wasn't even that scary, but it still scared me.
0: (laughs) All Parker wanted to do after this happened was like, he wanted to keep things secret. He didn't want his life to change. And he was like, please, please don't tell anybody about this. Even though they want to do like polygraphs and do all these different tests. But you know what? Next thing Parker and Hickson knew, everyone in town knew what had happened. Mm. So they became like little local celebrities. When they tried going back to work at the shipyard, the parking lot was just filled to the brim with reporters. There were like 200 reporters waiting for them and ufologists Mm. and researchers, including the ones who actually did do Project Blue Book. But anyways, Parker says that after the event, his life became a living hell because, number one, he had nightmares about what had happened. And number two... He couldn't go anywhere without people asking him, like, hey, you're the guy that was abducted by aliens. Let's take a picture. Let's talk about it. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. So it did, like, really kind of mess up his life because he couldn't keep a job because everywhere that he worked, reporters would come and his bosses would be like, this is ridiculous. Like, you can't work here anymore. And then also just he couldn't go anywhere without being recognized, which shocked me because I'd never heard of this story before. But he... He ended up moving his family around quite a bit. Uh, He occasionally went by the name Randy so that people wouldn't know who he was. So he kind of (laughs) changed his his moniker.
1: First name, Macho Man.
0: Macho Man Randy. (laughs) Savage. But Parker and Hickson, they went through, again, polygraph tests, hypnosis, stress tests, etc. And they did stay very consistent with their story over the years. So some Mm -hmm. people claim that their story is probably one of the most solid alien abduction stories ever.
2: Yeah, I mean, the fact that it's two people and it has none of those uh, regular red flags that I associate with sleep paralysis, it's pretty convincing.
0: It's very, it's 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 got me creeped out just listening to it. I'm like, oh, yeah. but since then, Parker has since released some books, which you all uh-huh. know how I feel about that, but... He
1: also can't get a job, so I'd be putting up books too.
0: Well, that, yeah. but he also did tell Country Roads Magazine his wife helped convince him to to tell his story because he couldn't put it behind him and people kept mm-hmm. bugging him about it. And she's like, if you write it, maybe people will stop asking you about it. Cause they can just read the book. Ooh. And so That's he was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. He eventually relented and, and wrote the book and it did become very popular. Apparently it was like talked about on USA today and stuff. But yeah, for me, that makes more sense as to why you would write a story about this versus, Hey, I just want to make some quick cash. You know, but anyways, okay. if you want to read his books, they're called Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, <laughs> My Story, and then Pascagoula, The story continues. New evidence and new witnesses.
2: <laughs>
0: and you can hmm. you can find both of them on Amazon for like twenty six, twenty seven dollars. When I you?
2: hear Pascagoula, I immediately think of the old Ray Stevens song, Mississippi Squirrel Revival. <laughs> I know I, you guys have not heard, have, <laughs> no, but it, it's about a squirrel getting loose in a church and everybody flipping out. It's a silly song. <laughs> that
0: sounds like fun. Yeah. Well, um, Jimmy Buffett's also from Pascagoula, so he's got oh. a song that's got Pascagoula in the name. You don't you don't strike me as a Jimmy Buffett kind of a guy, though, James, are you? I, yeah,
2: I've, I've been to Margaritaville. It's, it's pretty neat with several celebrities from a city with 20,000 people. It's kind of wild.
0: There's, well, there's actually, if you look up Pascagoula on Wikipedia, there are a lot of really famous people that have come from there. Granted, a lot of them are, like, football stars. But, uh, anyways. Trippy. Um, Ever since this story came out, there have been more people who have come forward saying that they saw odd things in Pascagoula around the time that Calvin and Charles Hickson were abducted. So... It's hard to. I feel like it's harder to say whether or not those are real or fake, just because it's like, are you looking to kind of capitalize on this other people's story, or did you actually see something? It's hard to tell. But mm. anyways, in my in my opinion, it's all scary, Harry. I don't like any of it. So that, you guys, is the Pascagoula abduction. Who is going next?
2: Before um, we go next, Alex, yeah. do you remember Uncle Elmer the wrestler? No.
1: Oh, okay, he's from. Cool. Oh, okay. Uncle
0: Elmer. Uncle
1: Elmer. No, I've never heard of him. But I was never that into wrestling, James. Ah, gotcha. Oh, I see him. He oh, looks familiar.
0: James, when did you become into wrestling? Because I've never. Uh, heard I you think talk it was
2: mandatory it being like Southeast Kentucky when you're a little kid. You have to love wrestling. Um, I grew out of it, but a lot of people I know did not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in fact, uh, most uh, a disproportionate number of my brother's dogs are named after
1: wrestlers. Really? <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I haven't watched a whole lot of wrestling. I got into it for a very brief time, probably mm-hmm. in my early 12s. <laughs> early 12s? <laughs> yeah, well, I was
2: super into it from the ages of like
1: five to 11. I know people that still watch it. Sure. I have it.
0: I've, it's It's been a long time since I've watched wrestling. But. I hear
1: AEW is better. Write in. Let us know what's better. WCW. Mm. It's not WCW anymore. It's WWE and AEW. Mm-hmm.
0: For some reason, that makes me want A&W. Oh, uh, right. man. Sounds
1: good. yeah, sounds The burgers are good.
0: Listen, we've gotten off topic. Which yeah. one of you yeah. is going next? I'll
1: go next. I'll buy you some time, James. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. So. I got my stuff from Mysterious Universe. Shout out to you, Mysterious Universe. You did a great
0: job. I love that website.
1: They're fun. They're very flowery with their write-ups. <laughs> 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 but um, but one of the places that we see probably the fewest alien spottings is in Africa. Yeah. It, a lot of people associate UFO, UFO sightings with, uh, you know, it's kind of more of a Western phenomenon, even though... You know, on this show, we have chronicled some things that have happened around the world. But this time in Africa, in Zimbabwe, in 1994, 62 uh, school children who were like, out playing in the playground, they're like from ages 5 to 12. There's like this big, bright flash in the sky, and then all the kids, of course, turn to look at it. And after the flash, they see three or four silver disc like objects now on the edges of them i guess what's best described as like maybe a a portal is on the ends of it and because what's what happens with these objects is they start to vanish and appear very far away but all within their view and so these ships are just rapidly moving now you know some debate whether it's actually going through a portal like teleportation or maybe they're just moving so fast that you just can't tell. Now, I am noticing some similarities between this and some of the other reports that we've seen in previous episodes. You know, silver objects, they got this glowing light that's yellow. Uh, sometimes it's trailed by these other colors, green, orange, yellow, um, are the the big lights that we're seeing traveling behind a main white light that seems to be like the leadership. Um, So the ships are moving around, they're zipping around, and then they start moving over this house. Uh, one of them moves over a house really slowly. And what they notice is, is that the object is actually completely silent. So hmm. no sound, no nothing is so coming from it's it.
0: It's huge, but it's silent.
1: Right. Hmm. And then the ship, after hovering over this house, it moves over behind these trees and this brush and it lands in this space where the kids really they can't reach it. It's cut off it, it's cut out because um, or I mean it's blocked off because it's considered kind of dangerous for the kids. It's probably like a, a steep like a little ravine or something like that. And so the kids all run over to the fence to go see it and about 100 yards away they see this ship. You know this shiny metal ship and it opens up and two aliens walk out. And these aliens, they're described as very thin, tall, slender necks mm-hmm. with very large black bug eyes. Kind of like the gray that eyes that familiar. you picture. sounds familiar. Yes. Um, and so it, it, it's kind of those typical alien eyes that we've seen. So they all had these tight-fitting black and silver suits. Apparently, they were one-piece suits. So like, I pictured them a lot like Elvis. Um, Mm -hmm. and, (laughs) and so they, they walk over and some of the kids kind of, there is one detail that kind of varies is some of them say that they saw some long, or long black straight hair coming off the, the back of their head. Other ones didn't see it. Um, now these beings then begin to go over to the children. Now they don't walk up, they hover.
0: So they float?
1: They float. So here is an, an encounter, uh, and this is a quote from an interview uh, from Emily Trim. I also pulled this off of Mysterious Universe. Um, and here's the uh, quote. "This says, all I can tell you is that the two beings were hopping along beside Lisa and I and ellipses. They were curious. They weren't touching the ground. And then mm-hmm. she kind of mumbles a little bit, and there's an ellipses. And they were almost, like, mimicking us. All of us, all of a sudden, they were in front of us. And I described them as being about an arm about an arm's reach away, and we were frozen. Telepathic images started going across my face, C- uh, ellipses, communication through the eyes. And that's all I could really describe it as. It was just image after image after image. Those thoughts came from the man, the, the man's eyes. So, I guess you're saying the alien's eyes were projecting this at them. Okay. And one of the other girls standing beside me, she got more communication about the environment. And for me, mine was more technology uses and, well, uses of technology is what she said. Okay. So, mm-hmm. it, the part before uses of technology, last time, she kind of mutters and no one can understand her. Okay. So, these kids, a couple of the kids had an encounter, their encounter with them, they had what people are thinking is a telepathic. Chat. Chat. And they just, mm-hmm. like, showed them images and stuff like that. Now... Some of the kids, as you'd expect, and from ages between 5 and 12, began to get scared.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would have been terrified. As you're telling the story, I'm just thinking, if this happened, would Gwen approach the alien, or would she run away? I
1: don't know. She'd probably run away.
0: I think she'd run away, yeah.
1: Um, but, uh, but just as um, some of them began to get upset, the aliens vanished into thin air, and then the ship took off. Hmm. They're probably
0: like, we're freaking them out. Let's go.
1: Yeah. (laughs) They probably thought that that was like as advanced as we had gotten, these five to 12 year olds. (laughs) And they're like, oh, they're hopeless. (laughs) 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 Um, And so, you know, obviously these, all these students are kind of upset. And so they go and tell their teachers what they saw. And as you would expect, they didn't quite believe them, <laughs> so what they did is they separated all of them and had them draw the alien, and the pictures all came back very similar, which is mm. you know a little unsettling. I'm, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, if you're looking through all the pictures and you're the teacher, I can imagine that in a movie right? where it's like, yeah, oh, oh, they're all the same.
1: Yeah, absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. So, after so an investigation starts. First, it's it started by Cynthia Hind. Uh, she's a local African UFO researcher. Um, but then, after she's doing a little bit, uh, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author, Dr. John E. Mack, gets brought in. And he interviews these kids for many days. And he came to the conclusion that, at the very least these children believe what happened to them was real. Now he acknowledged that he had no psychiatric explanation for what had happened to these kids. And that he just, he could not account for what, hap- what happened to them. Now he had already written a book called abduction, human encounters with aliens in the past. Mm-hmm. And the scientific community was kind of on the verge of ousting him for this book. And then after he went and met with these kids and just saw What he thought was all this evidence of like, or uh, not, not even evidence, but he just could not explain psychiatrically
0: what was going on.
1: on. And this guy isn't some quack psychiatric guy that just kind of showed up out of anywhere. And it's not just a Pulitzer Prize. Like this guy was a professor at Harvard. Hmm. So he had a lot on the line. So after this event where he goes and meets these, these kids and he's like, listen, like there is literally no explanation for this. Harvard goes after him <laughs> and he is the first ever tenured professor at Harvard to go under investigation.
0: Wow. Whoa. Yeah.
1: And they said that one, a friend of his is part of like, I guess the people that are gunning for him. He said that he could have avoided it at all. If he had just claimed that this was a new psychiatric phenomenon, but because he said there, there was no explanation they decided to go after him. They're
0: like, he thinks aliens are real. Yeah. We, can't, we can't have that.
1: But luckily, he got his name cleared.
0: Okay, how and, do you do that?
1: And, well, through the investigation, they found that he was capable and that he was very good at his job. And so they're like... They, All right. They thought that he was inadequate for the position until they investigated. And they're like, well, he's actually really good at this.
0: Okay. Good for him.
1: Um, so, yeah, he cleared his name. And... What's really cool about the story about these kids is that they've been interviewed since, and as adults, their stories have stayed the exact same, mm-hmm. and their de- yeah, and their details are still the same. Mm. So a little strange. Very. Sounds very
0: uh, similar to my story with the consistency.
1: Yeah,
0: James, I sure hope that your story has some consistency.
2: It might. Um, yeah, I'm talking about an incident in the U.K., and as a result, I would like to very briefly, just slightly off topic, just veering a little bit to the left, uh, just go over the top UFO spots in the U.K., because okay. that was surprising to me. So there's, there's a handful of sightings in Liverpool, and that is enough for it to be one of the top five. And there's a handful of cross circles in Wiltshire. And that's enough for it to be in the top five. And Bonnie Bridge has, I mean, we're talking about a huge jump. Now we're talking about Scotland. Now we're talking about Bonnie Bridge. 300 a year. (laughs) So huge jump. I mean, we go from like a dozen a year to 300 a year. That's just insane to me. So as a direct result, um, The actual local counselor of Bonnie Bridge has actually requested – none of them have ever been on board with it. He's actually requested the last three prime ministers to do an investigation of these spottings, and they're not remotely interested, which is kind of (laughs) interesting to me because America would be interested, (laughs) especially if it's like why are they so keen on Bonnie Bridge? Staffordshire, on the other hand, uh, tons of weird stuff. Staffordshire needs to have its own little sci-fi special because you got aliens, you got the black-eyed children, which we have never covered, by the way. You got a Sasquatch, which there's no English equivalent to Sasquatch, so I'm curious as to whether he deserves one. Pigmen and werewolves. So a lot of weird stuff's happened in Staffordshire. But number one is Broadhaven. Broadhaven, and what's interesting about it is... It happened to be a place where there was a secret military training base. So kind of has Area 51 vibes in the sense that there seems to be things that have been legitimate. And yet there's also been things that can be completely and utterly justified to the point of being completely debunked by the fact that you also have experimental military technology. So all that I, I added as just a little precursor to something that happened in Rendlesham Forest in Suffolk. Because it's not on the list. And yet, one of the most interesting accounts happened. So, 1980. Between December 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th, several things happened. So, there's this fellow. His name is Vince Thurkettle. Most English name I have ever (laughs) heard in my life. Yes. And... He's out chopping wood, presumably for his kettle, because his name is Vince Thurkettle. He's got it in the name. Uh, But while he's chopping wood in Rendlesham Forest, two fellas turn up in a vehicle. They are, by all accounts from what he's described, men in black. Uh, They've got the suits. (laughs) They've got the, you know, Agent Smith come with us kind of... physiology, um, but they have British accents, which is kind of interesting, and they want to know if he's seen anything odd lately. So the reason for this is uh, there were actually U.S. Air Force personnel stationed um, the day after Christmas, and they said they saw weird stuff. Now, bear in mind, this is the, the U.S. military being stationed there and seeing weird stuff. That's, that's odd in and of itself just because it's like, they were there briefly, and we don't know all the details as to why. I'm assuming training operations, but we don't have all the details on that. But anyway, uh, he was like, uh, what do you mean, have I seen anything? And uh, they're like, you know, anything weird, anything uh, just peculiar since you've been outside and all. And he's like, well, I mean, I've heard about people seeing red lights and stuff, uh and they said, yeah, yeah, we've heard that too. And that's uh, why we were checking. And uh, that was it. They, they asked him several other questions, but they weren't you know, a big deal. And he actually figured they were journalists because they never said who they worked for. So this is my favorite thing is this is a quote. After the end of the line of questions, they said, uh, there's probably nothing in it. Now that is always a red flag. Somebody says, "I wouldn't worry about it," or some equivalent. It's like the, you're you're in a horror movie, okay? So yeah. anyway, so next few days, nothing's going on, nothing weird, nothing strange is happening, and uh, it wasn't until three years after that. Uh, it actually made any kind of media, which is also weird. So the RAF in Woodbridge, which I'm assuming, again, when I mentioned uh, military uh, drills, that it was some sort of like international kind of drill thing, which happens all the time, by the way. Um, so this was probably the USAF and the RAF doing some sort of joint drills when something weird happened. So the U.S. government also released it borderline simultaneously. And it was just the fact that they had seen a lot of lights in the sky. So they actually sent the military in to investigate. So now this, what I'm assuming originally was international drills has become an international investigation of military personnel to figure out what's going on in the forest. So as a direct result, it got really popular for the same reason why Nessie's popular in, in Loch Ness. Mm-hmm. And it's it's got like a UFO trail, and they got a big old flying saucer replica, and all sorts of weird stuff. But he didn't really know any of the details until that memo was released. And it pretty much said stuff kind of alluded to from these these men in black. So... He decides, you know what, I wanna I wanna see what's what's going on here. So he actually asks his boss, like, hey, you you know where all this stuff is, right? And he's like, Yeah, I mean we could we could check that out. So they, they went there and they, they found a nothing of interest, right? Initially. That's an important thing. Initially. initially. But then <laughs> looking closer, they noticed that a lot of the trees had burn marks. Now For these burn marks to happen to the size that they were, it doesn't add up. Burn marks of the size and magnitude that they saw couldn't have been from, say, a forest fire or an arsonist or some lunatic with a flamenwaffer or something. This was, you know, massive areas, so it made more sense to conclude that this was literally the, the the heat signature of a spacecraft. Now, is that necessarily the case? I have no idea, but it's super flipping weird. Now, here is the uh, skeptic possible conclusion here, though. There is a lighthouse nearby. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's possible. That at one point, the the lighthouse beamed towards the woods. Now, here's the problem with that. Why would a lighthouse reverse its beam towards the land? There's not really yeah. a circumstance wherein that would be a common thing. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Maybe the guy who runs the lighthouse was having a rough day. Here's the other <laughs> problem, though. Um, the people who actually saw the lights and reported on them, It doesn't sound anything like a flipping lighthouse. So first of all, you've got one massive red and orange light on a triangular structure. Below that, you have two blue lights that blink on and off inside the orange beam. And then the beam itself, which, as I mentioned, was orange and red, would maintain a constant state of luminescence. Mm. So... That's kind of weird. And then further down that little triangular structure, you have two other blue lights. And I didn't confirm whether they blinked or not, but I'm assuming they did like the ones above them. So in other words, you have kind of a pentagon, which is kind of weird, of lights where four of them are blue and changing. And the much larger one at the top of said, I guess you could say kind of like a pyramid structure because we are dealing with a triangular craft, uh, is, is red and orange. So... That's not a lighthouse that that is nothing remotely similar to a lighthouse. And also why such a tremendous investigation for something that could easily be written off if it was a natural phenomenon like Venus or the moon or a flipping Mm. lighthouse. So it's all very flipping weird. And there were actually a number of people who saw these lights who were in the military and, uh, some of them claim that the lighthouse itself was emitting electromagnetic frequencies. Hmm. Now, if that's true, bear in mind, we're dealing with a military base. We're dealing with kind of like what I was talking about that previous town, you know, possible experimental technology. If that was something that was being tested, why leak it through the military? Don't you think it would make more sense to plug those leaks one way or the other? Mm -hmm. Like threatening a dishonorable discharge. You get where I'm going with that. Mm -hmm. So another person said that he saw um, energy or, and this is a quote, plasma, which could be a form of intelligence. What? That's weird. (laughs) Like, that's a very odd description. Um, To me, that suggests that he saw something that behaved in a way that doesn't behave the way we normally think of light or energy behaving. That is to say, it it behaved in a biological way. Perhaps there were patterns to it. Now, I think an easy argument against that could simply be the fact that when faced with technology that's more complex than ours, it could appear alive. You know, if, if you were to take a Roomba and, and drop it off in the Amazon, they would probably think it was some sort of sentient creature that just doesn't look like any other creature. So I I think that that could simply be a case of technology being so complex that it appears to be sentient or or alive, but that's, that's speculation on my part. So there's a lady named Brenda Butler who lives in Suffolk and uh, she really thinks that uh, the the whole UFO thing is pretty funny and she's a total skeptic and she's like, you know, we've got eight landing sites down here. In other words, places for for like military landing. So that's also a totally reasonable argument. She actually wrote a book on it, and she thinks that it was a Russian satellite from the Cold War. Bear in mind, this was in 1980. So there's a, uh, there's a number of possibilities, but one thing is for sure, even though Suffolk's only had one notable sighting of UFOs, it more than makes up for it in the sheer complexity of what transpired. Hmm. And that's all.
0: Wow, James. That's wow. Well,
1: well, well. Aliens. The Aliens for us all along.
0: Alex <laughs> freaks me out. Okay. So, James, great job. Yeah. Alex, yeah. high five.
1: That was, a good, that was awful. Okay. Okay. Um,
0: <laughs> Is there anything you guys want to add before we talk about what we're talking about
1: next week? Two plus two is four
0: true and you know what else is true next week is going to be our patreon episode of the month we are going to be taking on a topic that was submitted by my dear friend and patron caitlin and she wants us to talk about political conspiracies Mm. so i don't know what that entails just yet Caitlin will be guest starring on the episode next week, so Mm. stay tuned for that. It'll be a fun and interesting dive into conspiracy theories.
1: Yeah.
0: Cool. So, you guys, I think with that, Alex, who does our music?
1: Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. (laughs) Anywhere you listen to
0: music. So, and... Until next week, we hope that you can keep keep it straight.
2: straight.